Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to an October 21st, Friday night, late Friday night, more like Saturday morning episode of the Lockdown Blazers podcast. Lockdown Warriors Blazers crossover happening right now with myself, Eric Garcia Gunderson, and Danny LaRue from Lockdown Warriors and the Dunked On Basketball Podcast, Real GM Radio, Sporting News. What's up, Danny? Doing well. Uh, uh, recovering from the traffic, getting back from that game. How, so the uh, the Warriors came away with the W tonight. Uh, in the preseason game, and, and and finally the preseason's over. Congratulations, we made it. Yeah, I mean it, it's one of those things where it honestly they should. The length of it isn't really a problem. It's just that they have too many games, and so you know if the coaches want to practice that much, I, I really do defer to them. But they don't need to play eight games or whatever it was this year. Yeah, I and, and I think too it's. Uh, I think the Blazers really found it really unpleasant this season because they opened the season with Utah and they played them twice in the preseason, including less than a week before they actually play in a game that is going to matter down the line. And yeah, no, I, I definitely think that they could space it out more. And I definitely think coaches would prefer that they could practice more. You know, I mean, obviously you want to get some games in, but like there are enough if, if they cut it down to six instead of eight. And there isn't as much now, I don't know if it's just, even though we talk a lot about partial guarantees and non-guarantees, it feels like, at least especially with these two teams, that the rosters were pretty close to set. I mean, really, it was both both of the teams we cover were really competing for yeah, it, it was. Uh, I mean, b- both teams really w- were just kind. Of, we, they had guys competing for the fifteenth spot in the preseason. Um, both teams with fourteen guaranteed contracts. The Blazers. Uh, it, they announced just you know right before we started recording this podcast officially. It was reported by Woj, but Blazers also released uh, the information that they released. Uh, Grant Jarrett and uh, Greg Steensman, and they're going to keep Tim Quarterman. And then the the Warriors, uh, I think they settled their roster yesterday. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. And so they're keeping JaVale McGee. They cut everyone else. And the most significant there was former Blazer Elliott Williams. Yeah, uh, bummer about Elliott Williams. Uh, Yeah, it seemed like, I mean, you said that he had some, he had a knee scope uh, earlier this summer and kind of, uh, derailed his chances a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I had known about the knee scope and then it was just, he wasn't still wasn't playing. And I was just, I, I kind of had asked somebody who, you know, asked somebody like what's going on. And they're like, well, he still isn't back yet. And so I don't know off the top of my head, I don't know how much, how involved he was off, you know, off camera, that kind of stuff. But yeah, it, it's a shame. And as you know, you know, probably better than I, he is a talent and he actually filled a, a need with this team, but, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, no, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's a bummer. Yeah, that's, that that's training camp. That's when you're fighting for 15th roster spot, especially when, you know, you're trying to figure out what you need or what can help you. And, uh, yeah, but b- both teams have their rosters set now. 
uh, as we approach uh, opening night. Uh, both teams play, playing on opening night, by the way, as well. Uh, the Warriors are playing the Spurs, yes? Is that, is that their opening night game? Yeah, they play the Spurs on opening night after the ring ceremony in Cleveland. Okay, right, okay. Um, well then, uh, yeah, and the Blazers play the Jazz. So, um, yeah, very excited. Um, you know, that third quarter tonight, the Blazers really, it seemed like we're trying to send a message early. Um, it kind of reminded me in the same way that when the Blazers played the Suns in the, in like one of the early preseason games where like the Suns really went after the Blazers, I felt like, and I felt like the Blazers were doing that tonight early, but then they, it seemed like the, you know, they just couldn't really keep it up. And then the Warriors just, you know, they locked up a little bit on defense and it seemed like, you know, that third quarter, they just really, um, they were really doing what I think a lot of us expect that them to do. When the Warriors are on, they're incredibly hard to stop. And that was one of the big takeaways from this game and arguably of the whole preseason is that when, when they, cause the, there's an idea I've talked about it on dunked on a fair amount about feedback loops. And so the idea is basically that good offense feels good defense and vice versa, you know, that they, that they go on. And so when the Warriors, when you have to take the ball out of the basket, you're getting the Warriors at their best defensively because their transition D is still shaky, but they're half all right, you know, not as good as it was. And then their transition offense is insane. Like this is a team that is unstoppable in transition. And so once they find their rhythm in a game, they can go on the sort of run they did today. The Blazers deserve a lot of credit for starting out the game really strong and they were doing nice things offensively. They were generating good looks but they just couldn't sustain it. And that's going to happen a fair amount this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the Blazers, they, they had a, a really good start. Um, you know, a really, really good start to, to the, uh, game. You know, they jumped out to like, what it was like a 24 to seven lead or something, you know, crazy. And, uh, they just weren't able to sustain it. And, uh, Evan Turner had a really rough night, uh, for the Blazers, uh, has had some moments uh, in preseason where he's looked like he's fit. Tonight was not one of those. I mean, you know, he, he was turning the ball over. Uh, he was really awful from the field. It, it was a really tough night for him. The Warriors in particular are a team that are very aware of a player's weaknesses and want to exploit those pretty ruthlessly. And Evan Turner has many gifts, but he's not a great shooter. And he has this dual problem. There are other guys like this. Dion Waiters is sometimes one of them, but his shot's gotten a little better, where they can't help themselves. And so Turner at moments is just like, oh, I have an open two. I have an open deep. I have an open three. I'm just going to take it. And he's still not good at those. And that, that is a, a challenge. Terry Stotts could be a coach to get some of that, excise some of that temporarily permanently from his game just like brad stevens did a nice job with him and so the hope is that it will that it will happen with time but it might take some time yeah yeah uh evan turner with a tough night tonight i i think that uh yeah i think time is uh an important thing uh for for him and and also i think how he and and cj mccollum play together is going to be um, something I think to watch for the Blazers uh, early on in the season because, you know, Turner is going to play uh, 
some with Damian Lillard, but when they really are going to need him is when he's on the court with McCollum and when Lillard's out of the game. And, you know, how does that marriage work on that second unit? Because, you know, it's worked sometimes, but it hasn't, you know, it hasn't necessarily been the smoothest of, uh, you know, duos. There is a challenge in the league that is becoming more prevalent just because there are more guys like this, where players who are substantially better, but who aren't point guards, who are substantially better with the ball, usually it's because they're bad shooters. And so you have Giannis. Giannis is that way. You know, it's a lot harder to defend him with the ball because when he's off ball, you can sag off a little bit as he is, you know, cutting and like that sometimes because he can dunk over you because his arms run forever. That's also true with Ben Simmons, and it's also true with Evan Turner. And the challenge with that is they have to be good enough what they do to make it worth it and they can be you know all all three of them can be but why i was so critical of the signing when it happened is that while cj is good off the ball he deserves an immense amount of credit for getting a lot better creating on ball and so getting turner on this team means that you're you're kind of denigrating you're you're relegating cj to a status that he has outplayed and I understand the desire to have ball ball handling, and there is this idea, which broadly I agree with, that more is better in that context. But Turner is a guy who needs kind of the right place. Boston was that in terms of anchoring the second unit. And we'll see what happens in Portland. Maybe they'll tune it around a little bit to make it better for him. But it's a challenge. Yeah, no, I, I think it is interesting because – Last year when he was on Boston, I, I, I just – yeah, there, there just wasn't a guy on that second unit that was anywhere near you know where C.J. McCollum is offensively uh, in terms of the backcourt. And, you know, I – yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how it works. I think there are going to be nights when, you know, we're not going to be having these complaints because there's going to be nights where, you know, those mid-range Jays are going to fall. There's going to be nights where he's making all the right passes. I think tonight was a very tough night for him, but I do think that overall, over the course of the season, I think the Blazers are going to um, put him in positions to succeed. I think, the, I mean, the, uh, the lineup, the starting lineup, uh, it's been reported, you know, that that's the done deal. Not that that's a surprise that, you know, we necessarily needed that confirmation because they've finished the last like three or four games of the preseason with Harkless in the starting lineup. So I think they're going to use him similar to the way Boston used him in that he will anchor the second unit. And maybe there's a chance that that, you know, ends up being a really good combination with him and McCollum, but I just think they have to, I have a lot to figure out. And I, I, I think, um, I wonder how what that's going to do to McCollum's production. What and Stotts is considering this is something that's a little bit counter the trends, especially that basketball Twitter likes, and that's going away from the stagger with them because Lillard and McCollum make each other better. And if you want to give Turner some time, then you can do that with somebody like Napier or something like that. And the reason you do is you want to keep yourself above water and everything like that. And the other thing is if it's guys that don't necessarily mesh. That's why Westbrook Durant was a good idea, because those guys didn't drop off as much without the other as other combinations do. And so if they go that route, you play Lillard and 
guard to guard. They they had some real great moments tonight, just like they do all the time. And then you let Turner do that. And so the idea is basically greater plus and then a smaller plus or a you know maybe a not that big a minus the other times. It's a calculus that might go back to a little more often. I've actually last year I advocated for the Warriors to do in the playoffs and they they didn't. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, I I think that's a, a interesting take on it, and I think that too. You know, if you have Evan Turner in there and say you have him out there with Crab, and uh, you have him out there with Myers Leonard or Vonley at Davis, you know, a lot of those guys maybe you don't have McCollum out there. You leave Harkless out there for a little while longer, or Aminu or something. And I, I think that would be a really interesting look, and it would also make the Blazers, you know, you could probably play some really big lineups out there, which, like, may not be able to be, like, they may not have, like, the, the shiniest, you know, plus-minus or, like, the best offensive numbers, but maybe, you know, all you need in, in that time that Lillard and McCollum aren't on the floor is to not lose that well, maybe just play really good defense and, and hope that, you know, Turner can kind of make the most of, you know, being the lone guy out there. So I am not a hockey guy at all, but there's a theory that I've had in basketball, and I don't think I've ever said this on any podcast. And the idea behind going away from a stagger with the second unit can be more like there are some lines every once in a while in hockey where you like it's your big, like your checking line and they're not going to score, but their job is to make sure the other team doesn't score. And so maybe you make it nasty. You muck it up a little bit. And I'm not saying the Blazers have to do that because they have enough offensive talent with guys like Crab, as you mentioned. I think Crab is a great fit with Turner in that way, depending on how they want to do the big men, who's playing well at a given time. They can go that, that route, too, especially when you have faith that your starters are better than the other team starters. And that's true for Portland. You know, Portland against a vast majority of the NBA, especially if they keep that unit with more continuity, depending on how they resolve the center situation. But let's say one to four, they're happy with what they have. If you think you're going to beat the other team with those guys every night, you don't need to stress as much about a second unit. Right. And and, and I think the Blazers do, like you said, against the majority of teams that they'll face this season, uh, I definitely think that their starters are much better. And I think it'd, it'd be about, you know, just making sure. And also, too, I think, if you can figure out ways, maybe if you if you're not staggering them, you're going to get the most out of their minutes together. But also, you know, maybe you can figure out ways to just get by without having to rely on them so much in the regular season, so that come playoff time, you can kind of let the horses you know run a little bit more, um, and and maybe they'll have a little bit more juice. And, and there's a kind of a parallel to this whole conversation with the Warriors in that there was an intuition that the stagger was to keep Durant happy. But watching this game and the Warriors' whole preseason, he looks pretty happy playing with Curry and Clay and Draymond. You know, that that's working relatively well. And so if the idea was to give him kind of a grounding and something else, let him get his shots, maybe you start to think about that a little bit differently because those lineups are doing well enough. And if you can line up those guys for 30 minutes a game as opposed to like 24 – Maybe that's a better outcome. I mean, it's just incredible watching that lineup out there. Like that one fast break where it was, you know, Steph dribbles it and they swing to Clay at the elbow and then Clay swings it to Durant in the corner. It's just like, 
I mean, that's that's going to be the whole season for them. And it, it's just, you know, this was my first time watching them this preseason. And it's just, it's Kevin Durant, like, floating off the ball off of the Warriors' actions. And it's just impossible to stop. Well, so, so, one of my overarching theories of basketball defense is about choices. You know, like, you have to make choices out there. Who to cover, who to leave open, how to, basically, and a lot of it is about work. Worst case scenario. And so what do you want to prevent? And you teams can put focus into that. Durant is insane on this team because all the choices you have are bad. You know, like if you want to say a Durant Curry pick and roll, either basically either way, you know, if you want to do that, there aren't any good options to stop that. And even if you want to just like put him in the Harrison Barnes spot in the corner, either he's going to get open sometimes or the other guys are just going to have massive lanes and the warriors at their best can maximize that. And that was something actually tying it back, not to make this the Evan Turner bashing show, though I would be happy to do that because the ball always finds guys at the time that it's inconvenient. And so like there were a couple of times when the Warriors, like basically the, the Blazers created seams and did a great job. That's a big part of offense. And then it ended up being Evan Turner above the break on a three. And it's like, well, crap, all the good work we did is gone now. And, you know, you ended up with that and he should what he needs to be able to do in that spot. And he did this in Boston is use that advantage into creating something for someone else that isn't a jump shot. You know, like like dribble in into the space that has been created for you. Hope somebody comes over to help and then make a pass. And Turner can do that. But that's where he's going to have to go because he can't be satisfied with that shot. But why that's crazy for the Warriors is that those seams create shots that are more dangerous than almost anything else any other offense comes up with. Right. It's like you go through all these reads, you go through all these options, you take away all these things, and it ends up with, you know, Clay or Durant getting an open shot. I mean, Clay didn't even really make that many shots tonight. And, and they still were just, it was, you know. Yeah. His, his, only, his only make in the first part of the game was off a of goaltend. He, he was one for eight, and that one was a, was a goaltend that was missed. It was a goaltend off the miss. So basically, it was basket interference. And. They still were, you know, at that point they were still ahead. You know, he he did a little bit better later, but yeah, the Warriors are in this different phase. And also, what's exciting about it, and was tonight was a good example of it, is that they have so many new pieces. And even somebody like Ian Clark, who is not new but is probably going to have a very different role, that there are questions that are going to be answered throughout the season in terms of how they want to do alignments and a team that can approach the regular season and rest completely differently from most teams, even in recent league history, they're really going to start fiddling with this stuff. Like I asked coach Kerr after the game, cause they tried Ian Clark at point guard. So defending ones with Durant. So Durant was running a lot of the offense and he basically said they were doing it because Portland did such a good job defending them. They tried it out, but it worked. They're going to try things like that throughout the year. Yeah, and I think too now that they don't have the they won't have the necessarily the pressure to get, you know, they'll be able to rack up a lot of wins, but I don't think the pressure is going to be there this time around cuz they've already done it before. And I just think that now they can kind of approach the regular season. I mean, obviously this is evident from what they're, you know, what they've been doing and I and I think what you're saying is totally on point. Like they can use the entire regular season to really experiment with all these different lineups, different rotation, different staggers. And uh, that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. And I think bringing it to the Blazers for a moment in that regard, they 
the the Warriors are really interesting because you're talking about you know the the four guys and how those guys are going to rotate really, and then also you know the rotation guys, and then you've got the Blazers as well who you know. Vonley all of a sudden has started to look like he could actually, you know, help the Blazers insert in right now. And, you know, they've got like 11, you know, they probably got 10 guys, 11 guys, if you include Vonley, that, you know, could probably do something. And it's like, it's going to be weird to see Stotts, you know, change from game to game. And Kerr, too, I think, I think both these teams are going to have a lot of. I think they have the potential to, you know, kind of mix and match a lot this year. Like I, I, you know, I think you'll be watching one Blazers game earlier in the week and one later in the week, and or in the Warriors too. And you know, a lot of the rotations will be different. I think. I am absolutely fascinated by the challenge Portland has managing their front court because last year was all hunky dory. The team was outperforming expectations. They were having a lot of fun. Lillard deserves a immense amount of credit for keeping the locker room connected and loose and all the, all that good stuff. It gets a little different, not only when you have expectations as a team, that'll be different, but when you have expectations of yourself and your role and they had a great success last year. And also part of that comes with injuries and everything that, you know, everything that happens, Myers Leonard missed a bunch of time. And so you have all these guys who think they deserve time and actually do and keeping them happy and winning helps. Winning will certainly help, and the Blazers should do plenty of that. But Vonley, in a lot of interesting ways for me, in this game in particular, like he was active out there. He actually made a three. Granted, that was a little bit fluky, but he's been what, shooting well in the preseason. Just, yeah, ju- just as a as an it's preseason, well, but he has been shooting well, better well, so than I'll, last. So I'll, I'll I'll tell Blazers fans a little a little story with Vonley. So Vonley, when he was in high school, that was still a time when I was more engaged in the draft because uh, I I didn't wasn't doing dunked on and everything else and at that that time Vonley was a three he was a small forward that looked like it was going to be his position moving forward and I had this thought the whole time of like oh man like I wish he was a little bit taller because then he wouldn't have to do all of this stuff more regularly all of a sudden he got to be power forward size maybe even fringy center size and so his game got a lot better because of that because he kind of like what happens what would happen with Aaron Gordon if he weren't playing out of position is that his ball skills are pretty solid for his new position and he does have a, his jump shot isn't it certainly is not terrible so we'll see if he can do that but it gets into the idea with Ed Davis cuz it's like Ed Davis is a good player was an important part of their success last year and resolving those two is a big challenge. And it's hard also, you know, Myers Leonard is a weapon, but defensively, he's just still not really giving you what you want. And, you know, and I just think that Vonley has, I think there is something about defense that can't be taught. And I think Vonley is just like kind of naturally just a better defender. Maybe, you know, I, I, I just think he is a naturally a better defender than, than Leonard. And even though sometimes Vonley has a tendency to space out and kind of get lost in the action by watching what's going on, I think that his instincts and his abilities just make him naturally a better defender. And I wonder, you know, I think Leonard has, a, you know, is a weapon for the Blazers and will be important. But I do think 
you know, at times Vonley, you know, his defense and quickness and athleticism. I mean, they had him matched up against Durant tonight, which is, you know, Myers Leonard. You can't put Myers Leonard on on Kevin Durant. Not to not to say that anybody can guard Durant, but you know, it's it's not a good place to put Myers Leonard. And Ed Davis, like you said, is a really good player. And, you know, one of the best bench players in the league last year. And Mason Plumlee was a solid player last year. And, you know, it's going to be really hard to see. And and I wonder what happens. You know, if Vonley continues to play well, I mean, what do you do at that point? And what what happens if Festus plays? Like, I I covered Festus for years. I mean, he is the most talented defensive big man Portland has. I mean, whether he can get on the court or not. And defensive big man I, there are a lot of things that Mason Plumley does for their starting offense which is great but they're getting a more a defensive anchor would you know if as long as you can get enough offense of everybody else but be able to take this team to a higher level in terms of playoff potential and so you kind of have to think about all these things at the same time and I'm not saying Azili as soon as he's healthy he should start or anything crazy like that but you when you are as good as Portland is, you have to think a little bit about ceilings because if you're not thinking about ceilings, I mean that that's really what this is about for them because they're not going to be satisfied just making the playoffs. They shouldn't be, and so you want to think about okay when we're facing one of the five best teams in the conference, what can we do to make to give us the best chance of winning? And they have a long time to figure it out, which is wonderful. But the great Portland is that. They have a lot of these guys, they have a log jam and that's, you know, actually, you know, in some ways it's a good problem. In some ways it's a bad problem, but a vast majority of those players are on good contracts. So if they reach the point where they're willing to trade somebody, they can, it's not something like some, like let's say new Orleans center situation where they have all these guys, they aren't that good and they make too much money. Like it's a much, much better problem to have. Yeah, Portland did a really good job of getting everybody on, you know, pretty good deals. I think Plumlee maybe, and they're not going to move Plumlee because he's their starting center. So there's, I, I just don't see them doing that. And and so and he's the only guy that's up for a contract. And so, um, yeah, I I really think that um, yeah, they're in a good situation. They have time to figure it out. And I think, like you said about uh, Festus, is that you know he really is a guy that they can throw out there. This is, you know, he's really good. I'm. Tell me if this is this is a little bit of a stretch, but I feel like you know, Festus, you know, with his knees and stuff like that, obviously he he can't be a player for the extended period, at least right now, and you know, probably for the foreseeable future. I almost likened him kind of like for this Blazers team, almost like a guy like PJ Brown was when he was on the Celtics, like just like just a veteran guy that's like a really solid defender that can kind of come in and just you know and help the team be a better team. Yeah, what's weird with Festus, on all the years I covered him, is that it always felt like when he was healthy, you didn't really need to have him on a severe minutes limit as long as he was 100%. You know, sometimes they would rush him back a little bit or push it a little too hard. And so that's that's weird in that sense. You know, it's not like, oh, keeping him on 15 minutes a game isn't necessarily like that's the best maintenance plan. It could help. I, I don't know for sure. I'm certainly not a doctor, but he, <laughs> disclaimer, <laughs> disclaimer. I, I'm a lawyer, not a doctor. So I make disclaimers instead. And I think that what will be challenging for Portland in that sense is just putting him in the right place to succeed. Because when you have a good defensive center, they're much more valuable against the other team starters because they actually, because they they're stopping more, you know, most teams, mm-hmm 
aren't you hopefully aren't giving up a ton of dribble penetration to second units because there aren't that many guys who can do it i mean you're going to have the jamal crawfords of the world that'll that'll light you up that's going to be a part of it and hopefully for the blazers evan turner can be that guy for them obviously cj is when he when he plays with second units or against second units but you have to make all of that kind of stuff work and there there was this idea i wrote a piece for hardwood proxism a year ago almost it was probably about a year ago today about the idea of counterweights. And so one of the examples in that piece was Myers Leonard. And the reasoning was he, if you play him with the right guys and Aminu could be this player, he forces the other team to make some decisions because if you're going to put a center on him, then he can drag the other team's center away from the basket and open up for Damon CJ. But that works a lot differently. Either if you're playing him next to somebody else who can, who then then you can guard him with a four. So like I don't like Leonard next to Plumlee for that reason. But then the question is, is he good enough at that to justify it? Because there are a lot of players who who are great kind of chess pieces, but if they aren't good enough, then it's not worth that sort of tactical advantage. Yeah, uh, no, I and I think I think Leonard, uh, you know. That's the question with him. It, you know, is what he does offensively, while you know it, it is a tool, is it good enough to prioritize playing him instead of and the spacing that his shooting provides? You know, instead of you know the playmaking of Plumley or the defense of Azili or the offensive rebounding and the finishing of Ed Davis. I mean, the Blazers have so many guys that are just. You know, if they could just do one thing, one other thing, they would be like hands down the always, you know, the number one center in crunch time always. But I mean, it's the Blazers are very versatile in this respect, but it's it's also it makes it hard to to scout them. And I think also, you know, it also is kind of like you don't know what to expect. I, you know, I, I just think it's hard for us to make a call about how that's going to shake out right now, because I think so much of it is going to be. um you know, Stotts is gonna Stotts goes a lot off of like feel middle mid game. You know, a lot of times you, to to make a call, and um, I think Azili will be more important though. Um, come playoff time, I mean, it, he doesn't really need to even play until like March, really. Yeah, and I mean, you want to make sure you want to make sure that he knows your schemes and all that. But he'll he'll work on that. You know, I'm sure he'll watch a lot of film even when he's recovering and all that kind of stuff. He's a he's very a hard worker and he can be a, a, a very astute guy. And that I mean, there's a part of it that you have to get by playing with the guys. I mean, that's just the nature of basketball at this level. But something else that's super fascinating about Portland, their team, I think about a lot, is Harkless offensively probably makes more sense at the four just because you can defend him differently. The war- when the warriors face them in the series, they did a little bit of that of putting their four on him, but mm. all their other big men, you know, like the true big men, Aminu has found a great place at the four offensively are more fives, you know, they're more centers. And that's true. Usually when there's ambiguity, a guy's better going up just because it's usually a more limited mobility guy, all that sort of thing. And so it gets into these weird challenges. Like if Portland could theoretically trade, big for medium you know like get a three that might actually work better like they're one of those rare teams that can do it granted wings are in short supply in the league but it's just it's just such a fascinating team because they have all these guys that are really talented that can put themselves in a good situation and so i find myself focusing on what what is the best version of them and it's really fascinating no i i think the the blazers 
the direction that they will go is the biggest, you know, unknown because obviously you, you know what they're built upon, but it's it's just yeah, it's hard to know what the best version of them is. You know, I I have talked about as well. You know, Harkless potentially. You know, I wonder. I think Aminu has found a good spot at the four, but I do wonder. You know, teams still don't really guard him that much from three. I do wonder if his three point shooting last year was an aberration. And, and 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 maybe you know wh- how Harkless steps into the fold. I mean, Harkless is younger, uh, on a you know on a pretty solid long term deal as well. You know, it, it's they have so many directions they can go with this team, um, and I think they're going to be figuring it out all along the way. And um, I do I do like the way that they're going with their starting lineup. I know, and also you brought up counterweights. I I use I use counterweights often on the show. Uh, because I talk about Myers a lot, obviously, and As you but, should. I, but I think um, in a different way, not necessarily in the in the tactical way that you described it, but I think for the Blazers' starting lineup, but with Harkless in there, it kind of provides a little bit of a counterweight with having two six nine guys in your lineup alongside two six three guys. Yeah, it and they can you know you can generally most teams don't have enough offensive talent to make it so if you put Harkless on the other teams better of the swingman that CJ is going to get killed you know like just generally speaking and that's also the way with especially with the athleticism that Portland carries at the four and this is part of the reason Aminu is so important is that even if you get into some mouse in the house situations with a like I'm trying to think of a team that their their two is better than their three let's say Otto Porter this is a good example so like let's say you want to put Harkless on Otto Porter or you want to put Harkless on Beal and then put CJ on Otto Porter. Otto Porter's not going to do a whole heck of a lot. You know, like, he, he's fine. He's not great. And so you can, teams need to get more aggressive in those circumstances. And Portland could be a nice test case for it because they have kind of two equal guys and then two equal guys of just kind of bouncing it around a little bit. And, you know, if I'm trying to find... And the right lineups. I mean, if they had enough wings, which nobody does in the league, Harkless would make some sense as the backup four, you know, to keep a little bit of continuity in terms of the role. Like you basically put him in the Aminu role. That doesn't mean he should only be playing backup minutes or anything like that. But I'd love to see how that works as well. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, and one of the things that Stotts has played with in the, in, in the, in the preseason too, you know, maybe he was kind of to just throw Utah off the scent or something, but you know, I, I think against against Utah in the first preseason game, he started the second half with like a completely different lineup. Like started Ed Davis at center, Harkless at the four, uh, and I think it was Lillard, McCollum, and Crab. And it was just like a super weird lineup that I don't even think he used last year, but I liked it. And and I would love to see more stuff like that with you know Harkless in that role, and you know. Depending on you know, I think they did that there because they wanted to challenge favors to guard uh, you know Harkless, who's a little bit quicker than Aminu. Yeah, there there are certainly ways that they can fiddle around with this. And while I hate the eighty-two game season because it's too long, one of the benefits of it is that you do get a lot of time to fiddle. And coaches, it's one of the big credits to Greg Popovich is that I think coaches, especially on good teams, have gotten more comfortable with that. And there's no shame in it. You know, it's, it's, it's a good thing to do. And depending on the team, certain teams, it can engage the players as well, especially if it's guys who like really enjoy playing basketball. It's a new challenge. You know, it's kind of like there was a 
the warrior story of, you know, how were these guys were going to deal with Durant and the overwhelming sentiment before the season started, before the preseason started was we want to try it out. You know, Curry was jazzed about it. Draymond was really excited about it because it just changes the way you have to think about a lot of different things. And it also avoids, I mean, it's weird to say with the team, three win three games last year, but you know, it's a way to avoid getting into ruts, getting into routines is just to kind of change things around, shake things up periodically and see if the was, you know, have a bad five minutes and, Generally, both of these teams are good enough to survive that. I mean, the Warriors survived a pretty terrible six minutes or thereabouts and against a, a very good team. And so all of that is a part of this story. And with the West being what it is, you know, I'm not sure it makes that big a difference for a team on the world. Yeah. Seed or the, the five, just depending on who they face, that kind of stuff is more important. Right. Yeah, exactly. Who they face. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think um, the matchup is going to be obviously I think in the West is the most important. Um, I think, you know, I think the Blazers have, you know, the, the Turner thing, it hasn't gone super smoothly, but I still do think that they are have a shot at, you know, winning that division, you know, and, and the Spurs are now going to be without Danny Green for, you know, three weeks or so of the regular season. And I think that the Spurs will be fine and they'll still win a bunch of games. But I think the margin for error is slimmer. And I do think Portland, like, I'm, I don't necessarily know how, like, how high they can get. But I think that they have a chance to maybe sneak. I think they have, I think them or Utah could maybe sneak into third if, if Utah had been healthy too. Just because, you know, I, I don't, I have more doubts about San Antonio. And, like, now there's green injury. And I think Portland is set up pretty nicely just because they don't have that much of a learning curve. I think they're pretty deep, and I think that that is going to help them win a lot of games just because they're going to – I mean, depth helps you weather a lot of stuff that happens in an 82-game season that is already happening to a lot of teams around the league. With Danny Green out, San Antonio, presumably based on who it sounds like they're going to start, is going to start one-plus defender. That's it. Like That's what it's going to be now. I mean, Gasol can do certain things well. LaMarcus, as you know, can do certain things well. But in terms of an unambiguous plus defender, they're going to play one. And while Kawhi is justifiably the two-time defensive player of the year, that's a very different challenge. It's something he's never really done before. And their plus defenders outside of Danny Green that aren't Kawhi are largely unproven. You know, Dwayne Dedman, talented dude, hasn't really shown to this level. Jonathan Simmons could be athletically, but hasn't really been. And so San Antonio has a lot going for them. They're, they're good. They're deep in, a, in different ways than most other teams. But this idea that they're, you know, that they're a lock for 55 wins seems a little bit like a level of faith in them that I, I think is over is as crazy and as almost blasphemous as it sounds is not justified because we don't know what it's like for them to not have Tim Duncan anymore. You know, like they've had the success for what, for basically our entire lifetimes, but they've had that success because they've had a hall of famer anchoring their, anchoring their team the entire time. Yeah. I am very uncomfortable with just pegging them in for 55 wins. That's why I think Portland or Utah or someone has a chance to get that third seed and stay away from the Warriors side of the bracket in the second round other than the Spurs because 
I just I need to see it. Like I I just I need to see because because it's different now. Like I, I have tons of respect for Popovich, you know, tons of respect for Gasol, Aldridge, Ginobili, Parker. But Parker's older. Ginobili is on his you know last go around. Like these guys are not. It, it's not the same anymore. And it, it, I am worried about you know how they're going to be. And so it's just. Um, I think it's I think it's a little bit more wide open after the Clippers I think than um than I than I think a lot of people think. And to bring it back to the Warriors a little bit, that's also part of the reason why they're probably not going to push as hard for the regular season is that nobody's going to push them. You know, like even last year a big part of how, why 73 happened was because they needed to push to the last 2 weeks or so of the season to make sure that they got the one seed and Kerr said openly that was a priority for them because they have a great home court advantage. San Antonio, I think went undefeated at home for most of the year. I think they lost the Warriors. I think that's what snapped their streak. And yeah, I think that was what they almost, so they were getting games last year. Only 12 teams in NBA history have ever done that. And this year, it's going to be completely different. I mean, there might be, there's a very real chance no team in the NBA wins 55 or more games. I'm not saying it's going to happen because there are a lot of teams that could win more, but that completely changes the way that this whole thing works. Yeah, you know, yeah, the Spurs, 67 games last year. Yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's really going to be hard uh, this year because I think, you know, with the Warriors, you know, they're going to be racking up wins and, I I mean yeah I think it's gonna be hard it's it's not gonna be the same Spurs last year and I know that Duncan obviously he had his rest program and all that stuff but I think you know we're we're also talking about the non you know uh, like stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet like stuff of like you know keeping the program you know uh, you know keeping everybody on the program on the team and I think that's what he did and so. I mean, he's obviously still involved, but he's not on the team anymore. So I'm just, I think it, that's one of the interesting subplots for me um, for this season is just, you know, how long is the Spurs, you know, dynasty going to be, you know, what we know it as? And their season, I mean, you and I are both basketball in general. Like, they could have some real uncertainty after this season. And so what will they learn this year that influences it? Because they, you know, Manu very well could retire after this year. Pal has a player option. And then I would say it's not a definite that either Tony Parker or LaMarcus will start next season with the Spurs. And so we've seen this team be a bastion of stability for our entire lives. And that's not necessarily the case anymore. And it's the first time where continuity might not be the best choice. And so, you know, they had that, they dabbled in Jason Kidd years ago. That didn't happen. That might not have been their fault. You know, that might've I think they wanted him, but that's really different. And when like Portland, part of what they need to do this year is make sure, they're part of that story. Make sure that they're a part of the story of where the list is going, because there are teams that are on the rise, you know, Utah and Minnesota and that sort of thing. And there are teams that are on the decline, like the Spurs and, and the Clippers. And that doesn't mean they're going to be bad. I think the Spurs and Clippers will probably be the two and three best teams in the West if they stay healthy. But 
Portland is in this weird place because they're very good, but they're a little bit different from that. And so if I'm defining success for them, and of course that doesn't have to be my job, that is really the way that I would do it is that when teams are thinking about, okay, where do we want to be in all this stuff? Portland is one of the teams that they think about. Great point. Uh, I think that's a very uh, poignant uh, point about the Blazers uh, to end on, at least for me. I think that's a great, great, great point. I think the Blazers should aspire to um, be in the, the thought process of, you know, people thinking about the league's elite. And I do agree with you that they exist, uh, you know, in a different space than, you know, even Minnesota or even Utah, who I think a lot of people group them in the same category. Um because you know they're 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 already good, and and I think we're waiting on Utah and Minnesota to get there. And um, not to say that Utah, you know, Utah was a little disappointing last year. They had some luck, but you know they're not there yet. And so, um, yeah. A- a- anything else you'd like to touch on before we wrap it up for the for the eve? No, I, I'm happy the preseason is over. I thought there were elements of this game that both teams can be satisfied with. The Warriors just had more of them than they happened. A little later in the game but it, it'll, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch and there was a real f- joy being there as you get something out of the other and part of that is probably Lillard's connection to Oakland but also they have a mutual respect after the series last year and oftentimes in the NBA these guys play with a lot of pride that leads to really fun games and so we saw some last year in the regular season and in the playoffs and we're probably going to see a lot more this year yeah, well, I'm sure we'll do this again after uh, hopefully uh, some some another good uh, few Warriors Blazers matchups uh, as we as we continue here. But uh, follow both of our podcasts, Locked On Warriors and Locked On Blazers, on iTunes and Audio Boom, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, anywhere you can get a podcast, and, and leave both of our podcasts five five star reviews. <laughs>